If you've got a Bible with you tonight, I want to invite you to open it with me to the book of James. James chapter 1. I want us to, um, to look tonight at the first 12 verses of this chapter. These are not unfamiliar verses to us. And, and tonight, I'm, I'm probably going to share more... Um, <laughs> well, I don't want to say it that way, I don't think. Um, but I probably will anyway. It's probably going to share more out of my heart. Or let me say it this way. What I'm going to share with you tonight is probably more for me than it may be for you. Is that okay? I hope it is. If not, you can leave now, I guess, if you want. But uh, this is just, tonight, this is just coming out of where I've been in the Word um, the last couple of days and uh, in, in my devotional reading. And um, it was just really the Lord impressing upon my heart uh, some things that, uh, that, that He needed to remind me of. And uh, it's been an encouragement to me, a great reminder to me, and I hope tonight that it'll be a, a good reminder to you as well. Uh, tonight, I just want to talk to us about uh, the truth of trials. The truth of trials. Uh, the reality is, is every one of us uh, are facing trials. Maybe we're in the midst of one right now, or we just got through one, or it won't be much longer that there'll be a new one that comes upon us, but we're not immune uh, to hardships, to struggles, to seasons of difficulty uh, in this life. And James gives us some great insight in how we should face those moments and seasons. And uh, it, it, this is not something you haven't heard before. It's not something that you're unfamiliar with. But I think it's something that we can forget, especially when we get caught up in these moments and in these seasons. And it seems like everything is just kind of piling up and overwhelming and you run down, you wore down and you just, you kind of forget what you shouldn't. And I think that's why we find oftentimes in the New Testament, the New Testament writers, especially in the epistles, Paul, Peter does it, James is doing it here in a sense as well. Uh, they're, they're writing to just remind us, remember what you've already been told. Remember what you know to be true about the gospel, about Christ, about the faith. And James gives us that insight here in regards to trials. So I want to read these first uh, 12 verses and just talk to you about the truth of our trials. So hear God's word tonight, James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So just pause right here, just some background information. This James is the half-brother of our Lord Jesus um, and I find it interesting that as he begins his letter, uh, he doesn't identify himself in that relation, but rather sees himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't come off uh, in his letter by beginning, uh, I'm the guy that grew up in the house with Jesus, or I probably know Jesus better than any of y'all. No, he acknowledges uh, that he is a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ, and he writes, the second half of part one, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So to those who have been dispersed, he says greetings, and he jumps right in. James has often been referred to as 
the most practical book in the New Testament. It's kind of the nuts and bolts of our faith. Um, and, and that's for good reason, because James just, just gets right to it. He, uh, he, he gives what sometimes many have referred to as shoe leather Christianity, what it looks like to live out your faith day in and day out in a variety of ways. What's really interesting about James, if you want to engage in a good study, um, read the book of James and take notes and cross-reference how often he is leaning upon the book of Proverbs. James is often considered by many to be the book of Proverbs of the New Testament, the book of wisdom. And you see him come back to the book of Proverbs over and over and over again. That's why it's a a very practical book. How do you live wisely in this world? James tells us how we do that as a Christian. And so he jumps right in and he takes us to this issue of trials. Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. May the Lord bless this evening the reading and the teaching of his word. So James Knott is very clearly in these verses teaching us about trials. He reminds us that trials are a part of this life. They are the pressures and the predicaments that we face in light of living in a fallen and sinful world. And James gives us three realities uh, that we can say about our trials. Three realities that we can say about our trials. Number one, James tells us trials are going to happen. Trials are going to happen. He tells us this in verse 2 by using that little word, when. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James did not say if you meet trials, but when you meet trials. So mark it down, in this life, you will have a meeting with trials. They are going to come. They are not optional. Trials are certain. Trials will happen. And I think James gives us this insight or reminds us of it so that we're not caught off guard. You know, I think a lot of times we struggle in our trials because, you know, they just kind of catch us off guard. You know, one day things are really good and the next day is like, whoa, where did all this come from? And, you know, we're just kind of blindsided. We're not backwards. We're stumbling all of a sudden. And James says, look, you're going to run into trials in this life. 
You know, kind of keep your head on a swivel. They're, they're going to they're come into your life because we live in a broken world. We live in a world where there is sin. And even as Christians, there's no escape to these trials. Simply because we come to faith in Christ and we seek to follow Christ doesn't mean uh, that we will avoid trials. No, in fact, James tells us here that we'll meet them and we'll see this in a moment, that God is going to use them in an amazing way in our lives. So the first reality that James impresses upon us is that trials are going to happen. Just mark it down. Your life will not be a bed of roses. Your life will not always go the way that you had planned. Uh, there will be hardships and hard days and probably even hard seasons. Trials will come. And secondly... Secondly, James tells us that there are many kinds of trials that we will face. Not only that trials will come, but they'll come in all shape, form, and fashion. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Various kinds. Some may be completely obvious to us. Some may be more subtle, but the possibilities are endless. We're going to face all sorts of trials in this life. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a fight with your spouse that day, or maybe you're dealing with a rebellious child. Maybe it's that strained relationship that you have with a coworker. Maybe it's caring for an, uh, an aging and ailing parent. Maybe it's a bad medical report that the doctor gives. Maybe it's the facing of financial pressures that are uh, weighing down upon you. Trials may be physical, they may be emotional, they may be mental, they may be spiritual. Trials may be really long or they may be really short. James just simply reminds us that trials come in a plethora of forms, various kinds of trials. As we go through life, it's like going to the Baskin-Robbins store of trials. 31 different varieties. Live long enough, you may get to taste every one of them. We're going to face all kinds of trials. It's going to happen, and they're going to be different, each and every one. But then third, this is where James is going here. This is kind of where he's beginning to drive home the point that he wants to make. Third, we can competently say that God will use trials for good. God will use trials for good. It's who James is writing to in this letter. Twelve tribes in the dispersion. Jews who have come to faith in Christ and now, because of persecution, have been driven away from their homes, uh, presumably there in Jerusalem. They're feeling the effects of living for Christ in a sinful world, a hostile world to their faith. They're facing now many different trials, living in a new and a different place, surrounded by new people, all while professing a new faith in Jesus Christ. But despite all of these difficult circumstances, James is letting them know there's good things happening. God is using this trial, this difficulty, this dispersion, this hardship and all of its shape, form, and fashion for their good and His glory. 
And the glorious truth that James speaks to them about applies to us today as believers. God is using our trials in a myriad of ways to bring about good in our lives for His glory. Trials are a means whereby the strength of our faith is tested and revealed. Trials are a means whereby we are humbled, therefore reminding us to trust in God. In our trials, we are weaned from dependence on worldly things. In our trials, we learn to look to an eternal and heavenly hope rather than an earthly one. Our trials reveal what's really taking place in our heart and where our true affections lie. Our trials teach us the value of God's blessings. Trials develop us and shape us as saints. And the trials that we walk through equip us to better help others as they walk through their trials as well. James says God is doing some really good things even in the midst of your trials. And so as we think about trials in our lives and the truth of these trials that James is writing about, this is really where you know, the Lord began to drill down in my heart, in my life. How do we respond to that? The trial is going to come. That's a reality. It's a given. The question for us is, how will we respond to it? And James, I think, leads us in that. He wants us to understand this truth of trial so that we respond in the right way. And there's four responses that he gives us in these verses. Response one, praise God for your trial. Praise God for your trial. Verse two, James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, I'm not going to call anybody out tonight. But I didn't hear one of you raise your hand and give praise to God tonight for the trial that you're going through, myself included. I've led a lot of Wednesday night prayer meetings in my time here at Poplar Springs. And I don't know that one time I've had one person, myself included, just say, I just want to praise God. Life's been kind of hard, but he's doing some good things in my life. We're the complete opposite. We're the antithesis of that. I don't want to count it joy. I want to grovel and complain, and I want to get out of this thing. But James says, no, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That phrase that he uses there, count it, count it all joy, or consider it all joy, is a financial term in uh, the Greek language. It means that you evaluate and you think about, you consider it's a deliberate act of mind, a careful decision that is rendered. And this is what I think I really, you know, my heart needed to hear. Because as I was reading this and thinking over this and praying about this in my own life, trials that are seemingly overwhelming and mounting up and just unrelenting, just unrelenting, like the waves of the ocean, just boom and boom and boom. James reminds us that we don't face trials according to our feelings. 
you try to go through a trial guided and steered by your feelings, and it's going to be a rocky, rocky ride. James says you don't go through a trial based on what it feels like. You go through the trial based upon what you know to be true about God. You count it all joy. It's a reminder that in our trials, we fight for joy. You fight for joy. You make the conscious determination. You render, evaluate the deliberate act of the mind that this word implies that you know what, I'm going to face this with joy. Now that doesn't mean that the trial is not hard. It doesn't mean that the pain isn't real. It doesn't mean uh, that it's going to be easy. But it means that our minds will be set on the right thing. We delight in knowing that there's a purpose even in the midst of the pain. That there's a sovereign God who is working in the sting of the trial that we're facing. There's hope even in the hurt. There's knowledge that God's grace is touching our lives even as we experience such grief. There's the reality of knowing that Christ is working in that circumstance to form and fashion us into his image. We fight for that. We set our minds to that. We deliberately pursue joy even in the midst of trials. I've used this illustration with you from the Bible many times in many different ways, but it definitely fits here. In Genesis 42, we have the story of Joseph, his coat of many colors. You're familiar with the story. Brothers um, basically get rid of him, sell him off, and uh, they go back to their father, uh, Jacob, and um, you know, concoct the story, hey, he's, he's gone, some wild beast got him. And uh, that's, that's it. And so for many years, that's what um, Jacob lives with. And then as the story unfolds, God in his providence has raised Joseph up to be uh, the second in command in Egypt to sustain his people through a severe famine in the land. Joseph's brothers come to him seeking relief and uh, rations to carry them through this, this famine. But in that process, Joseph says, I want to make sure my little brother Benjamin's okay. That you didn't do to him what you did to me. And so he says, you've got to go back to your father and, and uh, I'm going to keep, keep a, a son here, a brother here, Benjamin here. And, you know, it's all this big rigmarole and they're like, no. And so finally, uh, Simeon says, you know, I'm going to stay. Y'all go back. Tell dad what's going on. Relay these things. And they go back and they tell the story to Jacob. And here's his words, Genesis 42, 36. Joseph is no more, because he thought Joseph was dead. Simeon is no more. He's now held in prison in Egypt at uh, Joseph's command. And you want to take Benjamin, the baby. And then he says, all these things are against me. Now, from his perspective, everything in that moment was absolutely against him. But what he didn't know is that everything in that moment was really working out for his good. In the midst of the trial, it feels like, man, all of this stuff is against me. 
Paul gives us the, the full insight when we get to the New Testament, Romans 8, 28. That through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So we count it joy. We fight for joy. We set our minds on joy because we know that in a trial, God is working for our good and his glory. Secondly, James tells us not only to praise God in our trial, but he tells us to persevere in our trial. Persevere. In our trials, we need not only a joyful spirit, but a submissive one. In the second command that James gives here in these verses, first, count it joy. Secondly, he then calls for us to patiently endure the affliction of the trial. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Here's his command. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He says, you know that in this trial, you can count it joy because your faith is being tested and listen, God doesn't test our faith so that he knows what it's made of. He's God. He knows all things. God tests our faith so that we know what it's made of. So that we really do realize God is enough and God is faithful and God is good. He says, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So let this steadfastness have its full effect. Let it be brought to term. When we go into trials, we're trying to figure out how do we skirt this? How do we avoid this? And I'm not saying that we should be looking for pain or seeking out hardship. No, I mean, just living in this world is going to bring it. But what we need to realize from James tonight is we can walk with God through them. And as we yield our lives to the hands of the potter who is molding and making us, when we give him the time to work in our lives in these seasons and through these circumstances, at the end, James says, we'll be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We'll be mature. Our faith will be sound and solid. So persevere. Stay the course. Be steadfast. Don't throw in the towel. Don't take him don't, don't quit taking the next step. Keep going forward by faith, trusting that God's at work in the trial. Persevere. Let steadfastness have its full effect. Number three, James tells us that we respond to our trials by pursuing God in it. Pursuing God in it. This is verses 5 through 11. This is where we, we see the book of Proverbs coming to the surface in the letter of James. If any of you lacks wisdom, what's the book of Proverbs about? Wisdom. How do we live wisely in this world? And so James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So do you see the connection with what James is, is giving us here in verse 5? When we walk through a trial, when we're in a hard spot, when we're in a difficult season, what's the question we often ask? What do I do? What do I do? What's the next step? What's the next thing? 
I don't know. What do I do? That's lacking wisdom. That's, that's us wanting insight. And we've been there. We know that. And so James says, if you find yourself in that place, not knowing the next step, how to respond, what to do next, ask God. And the good news is that God gives generously, without reproach, wisdom. He doesn't hold it against us that, that we're coming to him not knowing what we need to do. He doesn't respond to us by going, oh my gosh, I can't believe you can't figure this out. He doesn't respond by going, oh my goodness, how many times have I told you? No. He responds generously without reproach, without pushing back against us. He will give wisdom. But James adds some stipulations to that. As we pursue God in the midst of our trial, knowing that he is there, as we seek wisdom, trusting in the Lord with all our heart, leaning not on our own understanding, and all our ways we're acknowledging him and he will make straight your paths, we ask him in faith. We ask him in faith, not doubting. James says if we come to him seeking wisdom but doubting, we're, we're in worse shape than we think. We're like one who is tossed about on the waves of the sea. He says that person, they won't receive anything from the Lord. They're like a double-minded man unstable in all their ways here's what james is getting at here when we find ourselves in the midst of a trial not knowing what to do he says ask god but ask god in faith believing that he will give sound wisdom and when you receive that wisdom through his word maybe through counsel when you receive that wisdom it's not one of these things where you go eh, i don't really know if i like that I don't know if that sounds good to me. I was kind of thinking something different. I can't tell you the number of times I've seen people make that choice in the midst of a hardship. They're overwhelmed. Life is hard. They don't know what to do. They come and say, preacher, could you give me some wisdom? Could we, could we see what God's word maybe says about this? And you lay it out there in front of them. That wasn't what I was thinking. Well, you go ahead and do what you were thinking. And you let me know how that works out for you. Because James says it, it's not going to go really good. Because you're going to be tossed around on the waves of the sea. You're going to be like a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. James here tells us as we pursue God's wisdom in the midst of our trials, we latch on to that. And we say, yes, this is the God who knows all, can do all, is the end and the beginning and everything in between. So I'm going to go his way in this trial. We submit our lives to God's wisdom for our trials. James tells us that when we do that, we can rejoice. He gives us these examples here, verses 9 through 11, of a, a, a poor man and a rich man. But the poor man boasts that in this trial, God is exalting him spiritually but the rich man boasts because the lord is is humbling him in this life he's trusting now in the lord and, and not in his riches god's wisdom is always the best way to go and then fourth and finally we'll come to verse 12 james kind of bookends things here for us and his thoughts on trials 
He started in verse 2. Count it all joy. Joy. Count it all joy. Let there be delight in knowing that God is doing something great in your life in the midst of the trial. Fight for that joy. Strive for that, that attitude. And he gets to the end of this thought, and he says in verse 12, the first word, blessed. Happy is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Joyful, happy, blessed. Why? Because James says there will be great profit that comes from the trial. They carry with them an eternal reward. James says, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Our earthly trials lay up for us heavenly rewards. And so we walk through them knowing there's a glorious day coming. And that this trial that we're facing is but temporary. The reward that awaits is eternal. Paul gives us the best insight on this, this understanding of the eternal reward that comes and awaits those who remain steadfast in their trials. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 9, Paul is writing there about what he had experienced. He said, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. There's the reality of trials in Paul's life. There's the diversity of trials in Paul's life. Affliction, perplexed, persecution. Paul faced all sorts of various trials, but in the midst of those, Paul walked according to God's ways. And he gets to the end of 2 Corinthians 4, and he says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are, seen, that are unseen are eternal. Paul's mind was set on eternal things. And as we walk through trials, as we face hardships, as we face the diversity of things that life simply throws at us in a broken and a sinful world, let us be reminded and be blessed to know that God is using those things to bring about an eternal reward for those who endure. The truth of trials. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be the man that James has written about here. A people that count it joy, who remain steadfast 
who seek your wisdom, who will one day receive your reward, that we would face trials this way. And Father, we're grateful to know that you're a God that's so great and mighty, that even the hardships, the difficulties, the seasons of suffering, all that life throws at us that just seems to mount up so often, God, you're using all of those things in amazing ways to shape us into the image of Jesus Christ, your Son. So, Father, let us count it joy tonight. Father, for these who are before me, I don't know what trial they may be in or what trial may await them, but, Father, as they face it, may they know that they are not alone. May they lean upon your wisdom. May they walk in your ways. And may they be blessed. Lord, if it's your will that we should gather this upcoming Lord's Day, let us come eager and longing to gaze upon your glory again. And Father, we pray and we ask for all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.